Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. Hi everyone, and welcome to this week's Strength in the Numbers show. Now, this week's guest mentor, Lindsay Stevenson, we had a fantastic chat, and I really delighted to bring you this episode. In fact, Lindsay and myself actually got to meet because I saw her a talk on Mom, Manager, Mentor. And as you might guess then from that title, a lot of our conversation is actually relating to having moms in our finance teams and actually the challenges, appreciating the challenges that moms actually face. But also, I think on the other hand, is me personally, I actually looked up to a lot of the mothers in our finance organizations, particularly when I was younger in my career and how they managed so well to to manage deadlines and actually getting an awful lot of work done and uh, balancing uh, the challenges outside of work as well as doing a great job at work within finance. So I think there's a lot of key advantages of working moms that actually Lindsay does a great job calling out on the show. Also this idea of micro-prioritizing. I love the expression and uh, Lindsay deconstructs that for us as to what what that involves and how we can all benefit male or female and also a very important question that we should all be considering is as we step foot into our workplaces into our finance teams and can do our work is actually the four ways on how to find success and happiness in what we do so look i know you're going to enjoy the show with Lindsay, and as always if you do uh, please remember to subscribe Uh, we're on all the major platforms itunes stitcher soundcloud and youtube as well as let your friends and colleagues know. We really appreciate you investing your time with us today and also getting the word out there about the show. So look, without further ado, over to Lindsay and the show. So Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm so glad that you asked me to do this, Andrew. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Likewise, Lindsay. And actually, um, how I sort of came to know you was via one of your Facebook lives that you did at an AICPA conference. And I thought it was just an absolutely fantastic topic. And I'll keep our audience in a bit in suspense while I ask you first to perhaps maybe introduce yourself to them, maybe give a brief uh, idea of your career journey to date in accounting and finance. Sure. So my name is Lindsay Stevenson, and I am a CPA and CGMA over here in the States. Um, I live in South Dakota. So for any of you that aren't in the US, basically right in the middle. <laughs> and, and yeah, so we, we moved here about four years ago. So from an accounting and finance standpoint, I started my career, well, I did everything backwards. So I had my first son when I was 18 and was very surprised that was happening in my life. Not the plan. In fact, I was I was going to be a Broadway star and, ah. a, and a cardiatric PD or pediatric cardiologist, right? I was going to do both because that wow. seems super realistic <laughs> when you're 17, of course. So yeah, so he changed those plans a little bit and brought some reality to my life. And so I took a year off from, from college. Uh, so after I graduated from high school, I took that year because I found out I was pregnant 
and had him. And then after he was born, he was born in April. That next year, I decided I needed to go to school and figure out what I was going to do with my life. So I had no idea what was what I was going to do. I went to community college and I had a professor. I, I took just, I think, an accounting 101 class just because it was something in business and just to take it with no interest, no idea what I was doing. And the professor was someone who was working in accounting and then teaching at night. And he was so passionate and so kind and so supportive. And they had no idea what was happening. I didn't understand accounting. I will be the first to tell you, it wasn't like some magical moment where I was sitting in accounting. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's my calling. I was meant to be in accounting and finance. It's, it's amazing. I was not, you know, I was, I, I was so confused. I didn't understand, you know, that darn equation of assets equals liabilities. I could not figure that out. T accounts, you know, I mean, it was tough. So that, that one-on-one class, I had to work really hard to even, I mean, I got a good grade, but I had to work really hard at it. And I was like, yeah, I didn't really enjoy this. I don't, I don't think I'm going to take anymore. But that instructor actually pulled me aside and said, I think that you would really like this if you gave it a chance. I think you would be a great accountant. And I thought, well, you know, I mean, if he thinks I'd be a good accountant, he works in accounting, Mm. you know, maybe I should give it a chance. So I took 102 or whatever the, you know, next accounting classes and it started to make sense. And, and so I decided to, in the meantime, get a job in accounting. So my mother-in-law at the time, happened to be uh, in finance, working for a nonprofit, brilliant woman. She kind of pushed me in that direction and said, hey, we have a CPA firm that does our audit. It's a small local firm. Maybe they would hire you as kind of an intern or something so you could get an idea of what it's like to work in accounting. And so I was fortunate enough to have some connections there and and got hired. And I will tell you that my first like three months there was horrendous because they would give me trial balances and I could not figure out that income should be negative, right? <laughs> <laughs> way around yeah <laughs> so I, it was a rough start in my accounting life but eventually between you know my role there my job there um, it was a tax firm so I got to sort of get introduced to tax and working on my associate's degree I sort of figured out that I was getting it right and it was kind of fun it was like solving a puzzle and mm-hmm. so I decided maybe maybe that's what I would stick with and so that was sort of my interest was born and then you know once you're hooked it's sort of like you have to know Right. Once you get intro to accounting, you're like, well, now I have to understand why financial statements work like these stupid debits and credits. You know, that's one thing. But now I really got to understand you know, financially what the heck does a financial statement even tell me. And, and so then it became sort of this drive, this passion to understand. And then, you know, once your friends and family find out that you're, quote unquote, an accountant or working in accounting, suddenly you're a tax expert. Right. Yeah. Just- <laughs> Just assumed, you know, if you're you're doing anything, you must know anything about tax. So that became sort of a thing too. Like I kind of wanted to know. People would ask me these questions, but I'd say, "Well, I have no idea." But then I wanted to find out, and so I I sort of started shifting towards an interest in tax. And so that that was sort of how it how it all started. And so I I spent my early career. I had my second son at 21. Still hadn't graduated from college, so you know, I mean, I had to do life as hard as humanly possible. And um, they were wonderful, wonderful little people in my life to keep me focused and encourage me to to keep moving forward. But I graduated from college. I was working in tax. I got a job at a firm in Arizona. So I, I grew up in Washington State. So that's all the way on the West Coast. Mm. And then I got a job in Arizona with a firm, a large local firm. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people there. I really enjoyed my time. And I worked in tax. So the reason I moved all the way from Washington to Arizona was because when I interviewed with the big four, they wanted auditors. And I had kids already. And I was like, I can't, I can't travel 80% of my time. And, you know, as much as I'd love to get that experience, it's just, it's not going to work for me. So I, I was able to find a firm that would hire me in tax. And so I went there, 
learned a ton, loved it. And then my marriage was not going well. And so I, I decided that I needed to take a break and be in a different city than where my ex-husband was so that we could just cool things off and be better to each other. So I called a colleague who had worked at the firm that I started with, who had moved to a firm in a different city about an hour and a half away and said, hey, do you need a tax person? And they said, yes, yes, come work for us. Uh, so it was a smaller, smaller firm. And I went there and again, loved it, worked with great people. So, I mean, my passion for accounting is probably really more related to the relationships and the people that I've been able to work with throughout my career. So, I mean, what a, what a great uh, industry that we work in that you meet really smart, really committed, really diligent, and just awesome people. Even though we work really hard, it's so cool to, to be able to do that. So I went there. Um, then I decided tax, you know, was a thing that I'd figured out. So I wanted to do audit. So I switched to audit and I, I learned to do audit. And then in the meantime, I got remarried and I just couldn't get my CPA exam passed. So I will <laughs> humbly tell you that I did not pass it the first time. I didn't pass it the second time. So. <laughs> oh, well, that's... Hey, hey, it's, it's about like some people in their driving tests, you know. <laughs> at least you can keep trying yeah you know i i swear i knew what i was doing like i I swear if you're a former client please recognize like i really didn't know what i was doing so so i I got pregnant and i was like i have to get this test done it's like if i don't do it now i feel like i'm never gonna do it and so i took my final exam so the way it works in states i don't know how many of your listeners are cpas versus cgmas or cmas and so i know the testing cycles are different but in the states you have 18 months to take all four of your cpa exams and and they start to expire after that 18 months and so i took my last exam on the day that my first exam would expire and i was eight months pregnant and throwing up in a garbage can it was literally the worst experience for me from a professional standpoint. I was just like, just get me through this. Please, sweet Jesus, let me have passed this exam. <laughs> I don't want to do it again. Um, but it passed. I passed. And so I had my son, and then I became a CPA shortly thereafter. Oh, wow. And so that was like a really exciting, really exciting time for me. So, and then, um, you know, fast forward to about four years ago, I was talking to my husband, and I, I just felt like I wasn't making healthy choices in my lifestyle. I was working a lot. I felt like I couldn't really set boundaries for myself. And I want to be clear, the firm that I worked for was incredible. And in no way, shape or form do I think that, you know, it was anything wrong with the firm itself. But I felt like the profession just was broken and I couldn't find any way to fix it from the inside because I was just working so hard and and so many hours. So we we had a long discussion and my husband said, maybe it's time to do something different. So I looked for something different and we decided to move to South Dakota where his family is. So we moved 1,500 miles, moved our kids uh, 1,500 miles. God bless them for being so sweet to us about it. And, and they came along for the ride. And and then we've been here ever since. And I, I, now I work as a VP of finance and banking. Um, so totally different, 180 degrees yeah. from what I was doing. And, and I love it. It's, it's been a really great experience, not only for me professionally, but for our family, a really positive change. So. That's me in, in a nutshell, right? That's like a thousand things, like all in five minutes. So. Yeah, there's so much. Yeah, there's like there's so much there, and it's like no. I what really resonated though was the people point. Uh, is that I think along the journey you meet so many awesome people, and uh, like like as you sort of said there, you know, firm you're at. It was great you were able to recognize that it wasn't necessarily the firm you're at. Uh, or the people there it was just you need you you recognize that you know you were working a lot difficult to set boundaries i think a lot of our audience have been there i know i've been there myself and it was uh, almost complete breakdown and i had to move to another job 
to sort of figure it out. But like, I, what I will do, and I'll share with our listeners now, like how, how we came across was you you were giving a a talk on the Facebook Live, and I think it relates sort of to your earlier career it was about being mom, manager, mentor, and I thought that was a really great title. So I mean, I suppose in terms of your career, Lindsay, I mean, would you sort of see it as an advantage? to date and actually having been a mom and having that perspective as a mom, bringing that into your career? Yeah, I do. It's just such a fascinating thing for me. So that session was really born out of one myself, my own life, right? And saying, gosh, you know, there's all these things going on and I'm overwhelmed and I'm feeling like I can't be a great mom and be a great professional. I I feel like I have to choose. Um, And then talking to other women who were also moms saying, yeah, we feel that way too. And so, yeah, I went to look at it and say, well, okay, as moms, if we're finding it so hard, one, why? Why is it hard? What's the psychology behind that? And two, is there something that we're missing? Is there something that we mm. could do better, do differently that would help alleviate the way we feel? And what I discovered through some research, right, the psychology background of, the, of what happens in motherhood, in addition to doing some polling with CPA moms, so I asked 100 CPA, CPA moms to respond to a few questions. And, and what I figured out was we have these competitive advantages that come because we learn them as a mother that oftentimes we fail to leverage in the workplace. And so that's sort of what that session is driven around is, you know, as a mom, you are forced to develop a significant amount of patience in a very short amount of time. <laughs> so <laughs> if I'm if I'm being honest with you, I was not a patient person before my children were born and had to develop that skill set. But then not necessarily translating translating that into a competitive advantage in the workplace. Now I want to be clear that dads can also have these skills. So this is not, you know, a a male female thing. Um, It's just the way, you know, from a societal standpoint, in general, mothers spend the first few years much more time with their children than fathers do. And some of that is changing, uh, right? Some of that is changing, which is a good, a very good thing. And so, so I don't necessarily think that it's just a female thing. I just think that because the way society currently Currently works. We have the opportunity to develop those skill sets much earlier on in our parenting life than dads do, and so we don't bring that to the office. Oh, look! I mean, I suppose I, I appreciate you sort of saying that, Lindsay. Like, uh, just just to save a lot of um, potential dads or young dads out there that are also in finance, saving them the hassle or grief when they're older is definitely spend time with the kids earlier because your, your partner will never let you forget it. Otherwise, Katie, she's an amazing wife, great partner of mine, and uh, she keeps bringing it up. So I'm probably overdoing it now as being the sort of the present dad. But no, but, but, but what I would say is that I probably fail to recognize in the moms in and around the office actually how great they were at prioritizing their time. And actually, I took a lot of lessons from them. And, and I, I love surrounding myself as a leader with moms because they showed us an example of how you could prioritize. And I, I think you use the expression much better than a lot of people. A lot of people say work-life balance, but it's really work-life because we have to live a life as well. Work-life prioritization. So we can do the things we really love doing. I thought that really resonated with me. So I'd love maybe if you could expand like more, more on that for audience, Lindsay, as well. Yeah. So the idea of work-life prioritization, at least for me personally, is I think, you know, people throw around the word like balance and integration and, and those words are nice. But if you're a parent or if you're someone that's taking care of aging parents, you know, or you have multiple jobs or, or anyone that has more yes. than just one thing going on, right? You recognize that work and life is prioritization. In one moment, it can be all about a client or all about a project that you absolutely have to get done and it's vital that you do it. And I recognize that. 
And in the next moment, it may be that you have to leave early because you need to get to a meeting with your son's teacher or you need to get to your daughter's soccer game or whatever that might look like. And so for us, I think, especially in finance, there are so mm-hmm. many demands on us to be yes. 100% in every role that we fill. And so I know, you know, we're the trusted advisor. We're the one that everyone in our business depends on, right? We're supposed to always have the answer. We're supposed to be able to guide them in the way that makes sense. And, and I can appreciate that. I think that's a great thing for us, a great position for us to be in. But the, the downside to that is we convince ourselves that we have to be that all the time. Oh, yeah. Hey, all yeah. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> Just right, 100% of our time has to be, you know, positioned for the business. And, and I don't think anyone realistically expects that of us, but we do that no. to ourselves. We do, yeah, yeah. That's that's the interesting thing, and that was another thing with that trusted advisor. It's like always sort of trying to be on hand twenty four seven. You know that type of sort of sentiment is that it's a very reactive type profession in finance, or t- traditionally anyway. That you're waiting for the numbers co- to come in to report them. You're waiting generally for someone to come ask you something before you go give them advice. I can see a step change in that world. We're becoming a bit more proactive, but like I do think, like uh, in terms of when life hits you, whether you're like as you sort of saying, look you know, caring for kids or an elderly relative or whatever, you might have to react a lot in that scenario. And they're great advantages to bring into a workplace, being able to handle that and and set the right expectations. So I I just want to draw out some of those competitive advantages you you sort of mentioned earlier, uh, Lindsay. I mean, what would be the key competitive advantages, you know, that we can sort of bring into the workplace with those type of experiences? Well, you know, I, I think that parents, I'll say parents to be fair, because I think there's more dads that are doing this earlier on, but I think you learn to micro-prioritize very quickly and you get to become very good at it. And when I say micro-prioritize, it's things, it's it's little things that you don't even realize that you're doing that are competitive advantages that you can do at the workplace. So at home, when you have, let's say your toddlers are running around, right? <laughs> if you're in the middle of, let's say, making some macaroni and cheese and you hear the water turn on in the bathroom and you have a two-year-old, <laughs> your brain immediately recognizes that you should turn off the burner and run to the bathroom. (laughs) There's no, no thought process related to that whatsoever. You are instinctually driven (laughs) to, to recognize the most immediate concern in your household at that moment. Right. And the magic of that is that in the workplace, we don't even recognize it's something that we can leverage, but think, think about the impact that that has for you as a professional when you're in the workplace and you're working on something and another project comes up or another issue or a crisis or whatever it might be and your ability to recognize that while your project is important and there's a deadline and you know you're going to have to make some calls and it may be uncomfortable this other thing takes priority and is more important and you can switch to it easily definitely right because yeah. that is difficult especially for accountants and finance professionals because we like to just get things done and we like to do it in this linear fashion and we like to be really focused, you know, for a specific (laughs) amount of time. But the reality is we don't live in that workplace anymore, right? 50 years ago when there was not access to the internet and people weren't sending you emails every second of every day, you know, maybe that was a possibility because you didn't know the other project was a priority until three days later. But now in the real time world that we live in, you know, there's such an expectation for us to be able to manage all these things. And the reality is we have the tools to do it. And those of us that are parents are already doing it at home. We just need to figure out that we can also do it at work. 
Uh, yeah, look, I think that's really great advice, Lindsay, and um, I'm, I'm glad you called it out. In terms of helping folks get that realisation, because I appreciate all our, our circumstances might be different or slightly different to each other, and we've all got our own sort of expectations on life as well. Like, what sort of things could we do just to become more aware of those sort of abilities to micro-prioritise or those competitive advantages that we can leverage? I think the first step is really knowing exactly what you already have on your plate and managing yeah. those expectations for the other people that you work with and for. I think the biggest thing that was hard for me is saying no when, you know, when something comes up and it doesn't fit into the box and you're just looking at it like, okay, yeah, yeah, I can definitely get this done. And then you go home and you cry because you're like, how am I going to get all this done? You know, and your spouse is probably looking at you like, you're insane. Like, I don't even know how you operate on a daily basis. seems crazy to me. (laughs) Uh, At least that happens in my house. And and it's still a work in progress. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm so great at, you know, saying no and prioritizing my work, but, but having a really great understanding of exactly what's already on your plate is the biggest thing, right? So knowing what you already have that known quantity so that when things come up, it's very easy for you to say, okay, the things that I have on my plate, I know this absolutely can't move, but these four things can move. Okay. So now I have room for this. Great. I'm going to slip it in right here. So that mastery of sort of what you already are at capacity for is really, really important because you can't prioritize if you don't know what's out there. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's probably the first step. And then the second step is have complete confidence in yourself. You know, those of you listening to this podcast, Gosh, you know, the accounting and finance profession requires a great deal of technical skill set, a great deal of commitment. And for you to be in this profession tells me that you are an incredible individual that is completely capable of doing this. So have faith in yourself that you can do it. Because I just think we get so stuck and bogged down in the cycle of work. Sometimes we start to believe that we just can't do anymore. We just can't do it. And I just don't think that's the case. Definitely. And actually, I want to sort of move on from that point into the next one, which I thought you made very well in the Facebook Live, is actually defining what happiness and success sort of looks like for ourselves. Because we're original people, we're unique. Wouldn't it be great to think we could do that and do everything that we love with it as well, without burning out or or without thinking there's no end in sight? So how do you go through that thought process of defining what success looks like for you or what happiness looks like for you as well? No, that's a moving target. So I'll, be, I'll be transparent there. I don't have it defined yet, but I've had the, the good fortune to meet and interact with someone who has been a mentor and a friend and now is a colleague. Her name is Sarah Elliott. And she has a coaching-based leadership company with her partner, Brian Cush. And Sarah introduced me. She, first, she became my mentor. So I met her five years ago and I was like, you're the most amazing person I've ever met in my life and I need you to be in my life somehow. So please, please be my mentor. Um, and she shockingly said yes to me. So that was a really, really meaningful time. But she introduced me to, it started out as something called Miracle Mornings. It's a book and it's all about sort of setting space for yourself and starting your day in sort of a meditative, mindful, intentional way which was a completely foreign thing to me back then, right? I was in the cycle of work and I never had a miracle morning, right? It was just, it was just insanity from the time I woke up to the time I went to sleep. And so that was sort of the first thing on the journey. So for me, you know, just this idea of self-awareness, really becoming aware of what matters to me, what's important. And so I've been sort of on that journey. And then later on, a couple of years, I don't know if it was a couple of years later, maybe a year or two later, Sarah also introduced me to this idea of a 21 day vision quest. And we do it at mm. Thanksgiving every year. And you just you just journal every day from things. It starts on Thanksgiving day and you journal every day and you start with what you're grateful for, what you're thankful for. 
And then you just vision out what life looks like. And it, it doesn't have any framework around it. It's, it's really hard to do. I will tell you as the CPA, when I started this, I was like, like I had bullet points, like my journal had bullet yeah. points in it because that was all I could like vision, you know, out. But now to accounting, sometimes it's related to finance and accounting. Sometimes it's about my kids. Sometimes it's about me as a person. And sometimes it's about fi- my financial well-being, like personally, what I see myself doing in, in the years to come. And that is that has helped me sort of set a course and be able to like take a step back and say, okay, how can I be effective when I'm at work? And the way that I do that is by saying, you know, is this in alignment with what I see as success? So like I said, it's always changing, but it's the journey to me, I think is just being able to say like, what makes, what makes you happy and then making sure that you align your choices with, with those things. Thing, and that's a very important word choices as well like I, th- I think there's definitely some sort of key strands there it's actually uh, so i'd say allowing space for other things to come up knowing sort of what direction we should be heading in it's not a defined place it could potentially move as well and only signing up to things that get us nearer to that that point that destination so like again i find it sort of similar what i'm doing coaching with with clients as well that and I, I don't do it much but that seems to be the common thing it's actually just that self-awareness Lindsay, of tuning into into where things that we value and um, allowing space for things to happen as well good things so look really appreciate all that advice i suppose in terms of at the moment what's exciting you most about your current work or the profession Okay, so there's a couple of things, and I'll try and be quick because I know that these are sort of the rapid fire, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I will say, you know, my role at the bank, what's exciting for me is, you know, I think as the bank, we are moving forward technology wise, and that's exciting to see. I can't get into the details, obviously, we're privately held, but we're doing things that are innovative for us and mm-hmm. sort of moving forward from a technology standpoint. And that has been really exciting for me to see from the finance side. So I'm excited to see sort of how far we can go with that. Yeah, that's yeah. been really great. And then in in my consulting practice, just kind of developing what my framework looks like and how I can help organizations uncover their purpose and how that reflects with their culture and how that reflects with their client delivery methodologies and their um, strategic initiatives. And and so that I'm kind of getting fired up as I build that framework to see it come together and get some feedback from my colleagues. That's been really fun. And then profession-wide, I'm on a few committees with the AICPA. One of them is the Women's Initiatives Executive Committee. And that group, that team is working on a number of initiatives to help promote sort of creating a space for women in the profession to be reflective of the candidate pool. So it's roughly 50-50 coming out of college, but at the leadership level, it's like 19 to 22% in public firms here in the States. And so just just working towards sort of, you know, changing that so it's more reflective and, you know, hopefully at large, that's step one, I hope at large, um, the, the, whole, the whole broad spectrum fashion. Just on that last point, Lindsay, like that one I've been struggling with. Is there a reason, a, a broad reason for why that's happening still? Or, or are we moving in the right direction? I mean, like, or, or what things could we be doing to help it along? Well, I think we're moving in the right direction. And I think there's a thousand factors, you know, that we could probably okay. list. Yeah, that would no be, simple. You know, yeah. yeah, there's no simple. <laughs> okay. I was wondering because I just couldn't put my finger on it. But <laughs> I will like I will say that in general, women in our society are still identified as the primary caregiver, whether that's for their parents as they age or for their children as they grow. They're mm. the primary caregiver. And so in our profession, while we have made efforts and, and large strides to accommodate that, like flex the work 
arrangements off ramping and on ramping so that women can take time off and then come back to the firm. What we haven't done is restructured our business model so that women that choose to use a flex schedule aren't penalized when it comes to leadership opportunities. And leaders want to take advantage of those flex schedules too. So it's not, it's, it's becoming less of a stigma, I think, because you have partners that are like, yeah, I don't, I want to work this flex schedule for this three years because of whatever's happening in my life. But I think as we begin to change the business model of how, you know, firms work and in business and industry, the same, the same thing, right? The nine to five is sort of dying as technology evolves and that kind of thing, but it's a slow process and women will probably be the primary beneficiary when that all occurs only because it's so blatantly apparent that they are suffering Mm. because those things are not part of the business model yet. So I think, I mean, I think that's a huge, huge part of it. And like I said, I don't think it's any intent you know, from a firm or business and industry perspective, I don't think anyone at the C-suite level or at the partner level is sitting there thinking, well, we don't want women at the top, so let's not include them. I mean, I just don't think that's happening anymore. It may have happened yeah. 50 years ago, may but have it's happened. not happening yeah. now. Yeah. But it's just, yeah. it's just the way the business model works is that, you know, if you take time off or if you have a flex schedule, then you're last on the list for a leadership position. And whether or not that's realistic, because, you know, then we're not talking about merit anymore. We're just talking about a function of showing up and should we really be developing our leaders to just show up? So, yeah, so that's, that's what great I think. Question. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great question. That's a great question. And again, I'm curious to see what our audience think about that one. Um, so, <laughs> no, it's, seriously, I, uh, so, so um, look, uh, Linda, you've been giving us great advice. I suppose what's been the best bit of advice you've ever received? Probably just to love myself and allow myself to recognize that I'm not perfect, even though I really want to be, because that's what CPAs and accountants and you know, CMAs just desire more than anything else is to always have the right answer and always be perfect and when i make a mistake to just just how do i move forward and how can i take accountability for it and be transparent and be authentic and and those words have a lot of meaning to me so i think that advice was really meaningful i try and live that every day actually you know i think the pennies just dropped for me on that one Lindsay. like i think that trial balance it's it's a gift and it's a curse because i think we internalize a lot of everything has to balance back to be zero and be perfect Mm. sometimes you know yeah to the to the penny right there's no material the there's no <laughs> exactly so i think we should cut ourselves some slack like you know it's you know trial balance is just the concept you know we should learn to love ourselves as well and not beat ourselves up over not being perfect yeah uh, sometimes yeah, as i said it's probably a curse and a gift but um again let's see what our audience think of that one and um i suppose moving on moving on you did mention that uh, miracle mornings i love that concept uh, and the book um but uh would be the any would there be any other resources you'd perhaps recommend our audience check out i would read everything by Brene brown and watch her ted talks oh. i'd read everything by simon sinek Again, watch the TED Talks. And then one of my, my all-time favorite books is called The Big Leap by Gay Hendrick. It's an incredible read. It talks about being in your zone of excellence uh, versus your zone of genius. And most of us operate in our zone of excellence, believing that we're in our zone of genius. And it's, I mean, that was really a book that helped me feel good about doing things other than just being a finance professional, um, right? And having, having an impact on the profession as a whole. That was, that was part of that journey. That sounds a very fascinating one. I'll have to check that out, Lindsay. So thanks, thanks for that. And I will put the, them in the show notes, links to those books to save people having to, to go search for them. So Lindsay, that, that's fantastic. And I suppose should any of our audience wish to continue the conversation, where's the best place to connect with you at? You can get me on LinkedIn. It's uh, Lindsay Stevenson CPA is my ID there. And then I'm on Twitter at L Stevenson CPA. Um, pretty easy to find. I'm, I'm on those pretty often. And then you can always email me 
if you have a specific question, I love to connect with people. Or if you have comments, or if you think I'm totally off my rocker, I love to have discussions. So you can reach out to me, lindsay at originevolution.com pretty easily. And, and I'll, I'll definitely get back to you if you email me. Hey, that's awesome, Lindsay. And I'll put those links again also in the show notes. So, so thanks for sharing those. And I suppose as we're wrapping up, would you perhaps have any parting thoughts for our audience? I would just allow yourself to believe that developing human intelligence and spending time on yourself is just as vital as the technical skills that you work on every day. We as finance professionals really are the go-to person when it's related to anything business. In order for us to be effective at that, we have to be great at relationships and communication and all the things that we aren't taught when we go to school. And then, you know, I mean, it's just not part of the curriculum. So, and it's a hard lesson to learn. We make mistakes along the way. So anything that you can do to find opportunities to develop yourself, it's just as important as the technical aspect of what we do. I honestly believe that I think the profession is moving in a direction because of technology and we're in the digital age, right? And you have bots and you have AI and and those things are going to do a lot of our compliance related tasks, which shouldn't be scary to us. It should be a relief because it allows us to actually be better at advising and guiding, you know, and giving insights because I think that's what a majority of us actually love to do. So yeah, I just think develop yourself, invest in yourself. That's the best advice I can give someone. Hey, that that's awesome advice, Lindsay. So look, uh, look, really appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us, and and you know the competitive advantages of being a mother, a father, a parent, bringing those into our profession, all the way through the work that you you've been doing as well. And I thought some really great resources and thoughts about those miracle minutes, and uh, you know aiming for a a direction, a, a destination. That's perhaps uh, sort of moving. I love that 21-day quest as well. That's uh, fantastic ideas and advice for our audience to invest in ourselves. So, Lindsay, really appreciate you investing your time with us and coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having so me. So, there you have it. Hope fun, you enjoyed today's show. <laughs> if you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers. 